Here on the Athletic Podcast Network, I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and today we have a very special guest from The Athletic DC, Wizards beat reporter. I don't have a lot of good nicknames for you, Fred, but we can uh, we can work up to that. Fred Katz, and we are coming to you today in a slow off season, but I figured since Jay and Fred just wrote a very interesting article about Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum playing together on Team USA, it would be a good opportunity to kind of have them on and just talk about um, one, uh, I, I guess the article, but both where the Celtics and Wizards are uh, with their respective off seasons and uh, everything like that. So Fred, how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm I'm lovely. I'm just sitting here, sitting back, holding my microphone. You guys have to lean forward into your mics. I'm like, I can lean. I can lawler it. I can I can dirk. I can dirk post a uh, post to title it. Just lean back and I'm good. I, I, I didn't get that reference, but I have been dirk, dirk to used Fred. to Dirk used to hold the mic at the press conferences. He used to take off the mic when he did like his playoff press conferences. He'd he'd take off the mic like he was a sideline reporter. And he, I do remember that now. On. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I, I I have spent way too much time over the past two days talking to Fred Katz. I think I think we were on the phone yesterday for an hour and thirteen fucking minutes. <laughs> Try, you think, try, you think you Matt, think it was try, an hour thirteen? Trying to write, trying to no, write a Jay, story together. Jay, was, we were we had one, one call of for our an phone hour calls. and twelve minutes. We had another call for sixteen minutes. We had another call for four minutes. One for three minutes. One for five minutes. I have spent fucking hours talking to Fred Katz the last two days, and, and then I, you hit I'm me up today. Kidding. And then you hit me up today, and you said, "You know what?" Why don't we have a f- another phone call and this time everybody can just listen to the phone call? <laughs> it <laughs> As was. if you didn't have enough. You know what's amazing? Like I feel like I f- I feel like I'm a 92 year old because I'm phone call over text a million times out of a million. I will always call somebody, and I don't even text. Is it cool if I call you? I just call. Although Kelly Eco, I'm throwing Kelly under the bus. You guys know Kelly. Our our esteemed uh rockets beat writer i should say esteemed until i let this out into the open kelly facetimed me the other day with no warning so 
That's something my mom extreme. does, and it's extreme violation of your. I felt really <laughs> invaded. I I assumed it was a pocket dial. Didn't answer. Didn't even send a text to acquire if it could be a pocket dial. There was no way that it couldn't have been a pocket dial. And then he called me out on a group tech run. Uh, not much later for not calling him back. And I was like, Kelly, you Facetime me with no warning. I couldn't call you back. I was curled up in the fetal position crying because I felt so violated. <laughs> the man FaceTimed you. It, it's FaceTime. weird to face to FaceTime another man. It's just, it's is, just it, is it gay? Fellows, is it gay to connect with your friends via video chat? That's a ridiculous thing. I've never said that. I've never said that. <laughs> then why is it weird for another man? What if you just have a it's girl weird who's for a anyone? Okay, let's well, say that, Marcus Morris. I took I took Jay saying that. I took Jay saying that as an adult doing it to another adult. Unless you are romantically involved with someone, there should be no no FaceTiming. Or if there are like little kids around that you want to sh show off, like something like that, you, you can you can FaceTime. But in no way should you just FaceTime a regular conversation with a friend. That's fair. Clearly, you guys did not uh, FaceTime when writing the article. That, but, but that was one of my questions. How did that process work? How do you like, uh, clearly, it took a lot of things to figure out where they are hour long phone calls. But how does the process work of like, hey, you and I should write a story together. Take me through that. Um, well, first of all, I bet you Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum FaceTime. I bet they you they seem do. like they would FaceTime. They have every wholesome they probably face long lasting friendship they totally facetime they they have instagram lived so they've done That's that sort of like a public is, facetime i mean we're facetiming right now we're being a little <laughs> but, but it's for the people it's not for any of our benefits please this is for all of our own egos it's the only reason why any of us do this job and it's for absolutely i do else. not show my face for egotistical reasons i promise that <laughs> Uh, yeah. How, how did how did it come together? Uh, well, you know, Team USA sets the slate of who's going to be talking, and I'm sure they had in mind that those guys were connected because each day it's a different guy, and it was you know it's Greg Popovich on it was Greg Popovich every day. Uh, you know, the Olympic team started practices earlier this week, and Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum were slated for to speak to media after Wednesday's practice, and I'm. Sure, Team USA knew the connection and noted that, and that's why they pieced those guys together. And Jay and I figured, okay, there are probably going to be a lot of people writing the, well, Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum were close childhood friends. That story has been done a million times and probably will be done again on Wednesday night into Thursday morning. What's another way to do this? And so we brainstorm brainstormed with our even more, than, uh, even more esteemed than Kelly Eco Team USA reporter Joe Varden oh, wow. was off throwing the day. Eco under the bus again. I'm throwing Eco under the bus for the FaceTime. Oh my god, <laughs> so strange guys! My college group chat text chat just invited me to a group FaceTime, which we have never done. So see, what? I, I can see that though. Like old timing. friends, old friends is okay. That's that's okay. <laughs> at, if you haven't seen twelve forty five on a Thursday. That has to be a pocket like dial. That is no one. That's an abusive group chat uh, etiquette, in my opinion. In the I, middle I of the day, I, I do FaceTime <laughs> with my old roommates from time to time. Wow, Jay. 
hypocrite. <laughs> just like the yeah. you came out hard and being like, you can never FaceTime with another adult. And with, now you're with just like, one I do it regularly. Who you see sometimes. Yeah, I, I guess I am a hypocrite. Massive hypocrite. Uh, but so, you know, Jay and I got together and we, we kind of brainstormed along with Varden who helped us with the idea of, you know, both Tatum missed 2019 uh, team USA stuff for the, for the feeble world cup because he had the ankle injury and uh, Beal was expecting uh, the birth of his second son who was born that I think September. And uh, so he didn't end up going, he stayed home with his family and, and just kind of, you know, how different maybe that 2019 team would have been, which was a serious disappointment. They finished seventh place at the world cup, which was a, extremely disappointing finish even with them not getting a lot of the with guys they needed on celtics that team players. <laughs> all celtics but yeah four celtics players on that team right yeah and uh basically and, everybody and also how different beal and tatum have have been since that time over the last two years where tatum's ascension has really come and and you know beals has too i mean he's coming off his first all nba season now and has averaged 30 a game twice since then yeah that's a lot of 30 point a game seasons for a man and yeah like to me i just think it's such a cool story and i know a lot of people have written it about you know them being friends and stuff but to literally like carpool to school or carpool from school together and then end up on the olympic team together is just so insane the odds of that happening are so minuscule and i just think it's incredibly cool that number one that happened. Number two, they've stayed really close throughout the years. Um, I have a memory of Bradley Beal giving Jason Tatum a Christmas gift when they played on Christmas Day, but I'm not sure whether that actually happened. I think I might have made <laughs> made that up because I I Googled it and looked for it and it didn't happen. So I, I might have made that up. But anyway, they're the type of friends who would give each other Christmas gifts. Um, and they're really close still. And for them to team up on in the Olympics is just really, really incredible to me. I like how you guys are now Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum relationship experts that you're very willing to presume that they're going to publicly FaceTime and that they uh, exchange public Christmas <laughs> gifts. But you know what? Well, you guys the wrote the story. So <laughs> the Christmas gifts was a, was a point of contention during while writing or I shouldn't say point of contention but point of stress while writing the story because Jay said at one point with such confidence yeah one time I saw Bradley Beal on Christmas give Jason Tatum a Christmas gift I was like dude how is that not in the story that's an amazing anecdote how do we not have that and then Jay backed off and was like wait I think I saw that and, and we couldn't find, couldn't find anything it online about it, it on like, Google. so we're not sure we're not sure if Jay saw it and then just kind of forgot to write it and then it re-entered his brain or if he completely made that up or if he dreamed it or if his friend told it to him on FaceTime one time. Like it's impossible to know. I don't so give any it. friends Christmas gifts. <laughs> now, Fred, I, I do want to ask you a question. Did you ask Jay during this process if you were allowed to take a walk? Yes, I did. <laughs> Can you... <laughs> Can you take us through your uh, your thought process there? I mean, I didn't ask if I was allowed to take a walk. It was he he actually did ask for my permission to take a walk. I asked for your permission, but I didn't ask if I was allowed. I asked, do you mind? Uh, You know, we were trying to get it in by getting the story, file it by by a decent hour. You don't want to 
file your story. If you want your story to be up at an early hour the next morning, it's not like you can file it in the in the late hours of the night. Your your editor's waiting for you. So, and I was co-writing it with Jay. I thought it was proper etiquette to be like, "Hey, I I've kind of been inside all day. Do you mind if I go take a walk for an hour before we start working on this and start it an hour late?" I thought it was proper etiquette. So he he wasn't sitting around. If he was like, "Nah, I got I got other stuff to do." Then uh, you know, then then I wouldn't have taken my walk. I would have stayed. I would have worked. I have never Jake been asked such before a by a grown man if he could take <laughs> a fucking walk. What <laughs> an absurd question! Like, what was I'm I a respectful no, guy. No friend, no friend, sit your ass on the couch. I will not afford you any break time. You will be laboring over this story until we are done. I'm glad. I'm glad we, uh, Jay. You allowed him to get his walk. I'm glad, Fred. You were able to take the walk, and that we produced such a great story. I think the thing for Celtics fans, uh, which is the obvious question, is we hear all these things about how TMUSA creates the next super team. I think Bradley Beal was actually asked about like how much there uh, will be talked about, like guys on the team will talk about playing together. Do you think? And Bradley Beal's kind of been rumored to be like kind of the next disgruntled superstar. What is your assessment of where Bradley Beal's like desire to kind of play with the Wizards uh, now? Uh, I mean, if you ask him, he he says he wants to stay. I mean, that's kind of been his MO the whole time that, uh, you know, he would rather win in D.C. than win elsewhere. That's the way he tends to phrase it, or, or maybe that's the way that I tend to paraphrase it at this point. Uh, but he'd, he'd rather win in D.C. than win elsewhere. That being said, it's not like he would rather lose in D.C. He doesn't want to lose in D.C. till the end of time. He he wants them to be able to find a way to win. I know he was very encouraged by the end of last season. At the very end of the year, after they lost to Philadelphia following game five, he got up in front of the team and uh, – he, he gave them what I was told and, and what was described to me by a bunch of people as a, a very positive, very encouraging speech talking about how encouraged he was by the end of their season. They finished 34 and 38, got the eighth seed and lost in the first round of the playoffs. And, and they pretty much got killed by Philadelphia, but they also started 17 and 32 and then finished 17 and six. And then that great run at the end of the year and Russ was hurt at the beginning of the year. And Brad tends to be a very optimistic person, tends to really believe in his team and and look at the Wizards every year with with I don't want to say rose colored glasses because that has a negative connotation. But but he sees the best in every single Wizards team every year. Uh, and I think that was true this year. And that, that seemed to be true with the with the things he said to the team following their loss. Uh, he seemed to be uh, he talked about how, how this team had no drama. He talked about their fight. Uh, and he talked about how it was actually one of his most satisfying years during that during that speech. So, you know, you you base your stuff on that. You base what he says, he says the same stuff privately that he does publicly about how he wants to be in D.C. if he can, but he wants to win. Uh, so I think the Wizards are going to spend this offseason trying to make moves that will make them better in 21-22. They're not going to try to break things down. You know, people talk about, well, Bertans has four years and $65 million left on his contract. Would they try to dump him? And my reaction is is constantly, oh, can't why they that when they're trying to win. You know, People talk about would they try to get off of the Westbrook contract? And it's the same thing. 
I don't think they're going to be giving away pieces to get better contracts, to get draft picks, that kind of stuff. They will make trades if it makes them better. They'll make signings if it makes them better. Um, I I don't know this for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if their draft approach was let's bring in somebody who could, if, if there's somebody who fits the description when they pick at 15, let's bring in somebody who has a pretty good chance of helping us sooner rather than later as opposed to somebody really raw. Go with a Corey Kispert. You know, Chris Duarte, whomever, somebody who can, who's more prone to help you right away, unless maybe there's somebody who they're really in love with. Um, so I think that's where they're at. I think that's where he's at. And I don't know. I, I can't read his mind. Things He could be thinking something different than he's saying. He could have changed his mind. This year, I always say the caveat, this year was a lot more difficult as a journalist to answer this question than any other year that I've ever covered because I'm not in the locker room. I'm not on the floor. I'm not physically around the team. I try to use the people I know and the connections that I have and all of that from covering the team in years past, but it's not the same as when you're there and you're in the locker room every day and you're at every practice and you're at every shoot around and you're having constant conversations with tons of people every single day. It's just not the same. So my feel is not 100% the same, but you know, based on everything that is said and everything that he says, it sounds like he still wants to be giving it a try uh, with the wizards. Uh, and you see, as Jay put up on the screen, uh, Celtics fans do not want to hear that answer whatsoever. I mean, every single picture I see with Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum uh, from Team USA, it's like, let's go, like Beal to the uh, Celtics. To me, uh, do you guys, like Jay, I guess, because Fred just thoroughly dismantled those uh, the Bradley Beal rumors, I'll turn to you. Does well, Addy- pretty clear, though, he could leave next year. That's within the calling cards. I'm more dismantling them trading him before the draft and during free agency. You know, that that's that's more what it is. He he has an extension. They're, the Wizards can offer him an extension in October. And if he turns that down, the clock is ticking very, very, very loud. Uh, it's not a max extension they can offer him, and he could get the full 35% max in free agency. But obviously, that's a not a good sign if he turns that down, or at least that's that's not a good sign depending on how he responds to that extension offer. So who knows what happens down the line, but I, I don't anticipate at least knowing what we know now that anything happens this offseason. So if he turns down that extension, headline reads, Fred Katz says Bradley Beal to the Celtics is what I'm hearing from that. It's exactly correct. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure where Celtics fans are uh, are going to see. Although, you know what? The joke doesn't work as much anymore, but I'm, I'm sure we're going to see that the Celtics made a giant offer and the Wizards just wouldn't do it. And then it turned out that the giant Danny offer... Danny Ainge is gone, Fred. I it's, know. It's it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't you, you, work anymore. Well, it turns out the Brad. giant offer was Romeo Langford in the 2026 <laughs> first round. Just, just would not include Aaron Neesmith in the offer. I mean, nor should you. I mean, you saw his energy he brings to the team. I just think it's ridiculous to think about trading him. I think the question right now for the Celtics and Jay, um, I'll ask you, is is there any deal out there for a superstar that I get you would include Jalen Brown for in a hypothetical that Celtics are trying to pair Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal together because they win a gold medal in Japan and everyone's having a great time and this is the most fun that either player has ever had. Is that uh, something worth pursuing and worth giving up Jalen Brown for um, as the Celtics kind of move forward, building around Tatum as the superstar? I think in an ideal world for the Celtics, 
our superstar like Bradley Beal would say, not only I want out, but also I want to go to the Celtics. Because once a player makes that declaration, all of a sudden the leverage changes and it doesn't take as much to pry a guy away. We saw that with James Harden. We saw that he wanted to go to Brooklyn. Brooklyn did not have the best package. Brooklyn did not have the best assets to go out and get James Harden. But because he wanted to go there, because he pushed his way there, because, quite frankly, he wasn't going to be happy basically anywhere else, he was able to force his way there and do it for a package that, for a guy like him, just wasn't really up to par. Um, and so that would be the perfect scenario for the Celtics. Obviously, that's a long shot. I think Beal, because of his relationship to Tatum, if he ever does one out, that would be like maybe, maybe, maybe in play. Um and then the Celtics could load up like all their pick swaps, all their first round picks, all their young talent, and maybe get there that way. But other than that, like, yeah, Jalen Brown would have to be on the table for a conversation like that. And I don't know if there's the right trade for that. I do know Bradley Beal at this stage is a better basketball player. I I do think he would be a very good fit next to Jason Tatum. Those guys would be very difficult to stop. Um, but I also think the Celtics goal should be to whether now or two years from now, when they could build cap space and cap flexibility to get a third guy for Tatum Brown to, to team with Tatum and Brown, because like having two guys in the NBA is cool. Having three guys in the NBA <laughs> is a whole is lot cooler. really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so so like it's not it wouldn't be a I don't think it would be a sideways step to get Beal, but he's also older than Jalen and and you know costs more and and so there'd be it would be more difficult to add surrounding talent around him and Tatum um, if you do have to trade Jalen and, and just have two guys left. So there are a lot of questions for the Celtics. They have a lot of um, like Danny left them in a good position because he left them with Tatum. Brown and some other good players, but he also left them in a very difficult situation because they don't have much flexibility. They don't have their war chest of draft picks anymore. They don't have a ton of assets if they do want to find Tatum and Brown, a third guy. Uh, so Brad, we'll see what Brad's Brad's, you know, process is, what his approach is. I want to see how much urgency he has to make the team better right now versus preparing them to go after a big fish, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, when they can have a bit more flexibility to do it. There's, there's another thing that, that I think is worth mentioning with a, with a Brown for Beal hypothetical too, which is so Brown has three years and at what about 27 a year left on his deal. Right. And the only way you're doing that trade is if you know, Beal is resigning. Right. Yeah. You're not you're not giving up Jalen Brown if you think he's resigning. You're not giving up Jalen Brown if you hope he's resigning. You're giving up Jalen Brown if you know that Beal is resigning. And that's the maybe you still don't do it. But if Beal is resigning, chances are the only way he is committing to you that far out is if he knows he's getting the max, which he's gonna be a 10 year veteran, which means he's able to get the largest max, the one that everybody calls the super max which he's not technically supermax eligible, but he's a 10-year veteran, so it won't matter when he hits free agency. Uh, so that's going to start off. I mean, next year's cap, or the following year's cap is going to be like $115 million, 
which means that is going to start off at like $39 million in a year that Brown is going to be making 37 or 27, and then it's going to rise. And so he's making 12, 13, $14 million a year more than Brown. What you need to ask yourself is Bradley Beal was a deserving all NBA player. In my opinion, this year, third team, he made third team. He's been second in the league in scoring two years in a row. He is an awesome player. But what you need to ask yourself is how many guys who have gotten the 35% max have gotten that contract and you've thought, all right, that that guy deserves it. And I'm happy with that contract. And the answers are like, uh, you know, it, it probably it'll be Giannis. Uh, you know, you go through and it, it's honestly... I mean, people regretted Chris Paul and Chris Paul at point in that contract was a top eight player and, and might, it might get people a title and people question the Chris Paul contract. It, it, sometimes very seriously, Tillman Fertitta called it the worst contract, you know, since whenever the hell he said, uh, so, so those contracts can look more like, I mean, John Wall is the extreme, but those contracts can even tend to look like say Russell Westbrook, who's a former MVP who everybody in the league agrees his value is diminished by the size of that contract. And so what, what you need to decide when you're making a trade like that too, is a guy who is third team, all NBA in a decent season. Like, do you, do you deem that guy worthy of the 35% max? Because that's what he's going to cost. And that is something that's going to impact the way that you build your franchise. So, okay, so let's spin that back to you. And I would love to, based on this comment, enjoy Marcus Smart, Romeo Langford, and Evan Fournier next season, Fred. I would love covering Marcus Smart. That sounds wonderful. Evan, Evan Fournier seems too. like a gem, too, yeah. <laughs> he seems like a gem. And he, he's very good at discussing basketball stuff, which I think you would have fun with. Um, Evan Fournier also beefed with Davis Bertans on Twitter before the bubble. Because Fournier said something about Bertans not going to the bubble that insinuated he was soft and Bertans clapped back. So <laughs> I'd love to see how that locker room good, dynamic good, good, good times back in. Back in back <laughs> Some Wizards history for you. Yeah. Um, but spinning that back to you, will the Wizards want to pay that contract? Will the Wizards, like obviously Beal has been very loyal to them. Um, but I think like like with Kemba Walker and Charlotte. Kemba Walker, by all indications, like his first priority was to return to the Hornets. And the Hornets did not want to pay him that top dollar deal. Will the Wizards want to pay that contract to Bradley Beal, knowing that, at least the way it looks now, they probably won't have a championship team around him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have to answer yes because all they say, any Tommy Shepard, any Brad in a Tommy Shepard press conference, all he says is we're building around Bradley Beal, and the asking price for him is probably going to be if it's not the full max, it's going to be inconsequentially short the max. You know, it's it's not like his max is going to be thirty eight, thirty nine million dollars. It's going to start there. And then it's going to climb eight percent each season. It's not like it's going to start at thirty-eight, and he's going to get 
a starting salary of 25. I mean, it's going to start at 38. And if he doesn't get the full max, maybe he'll get 5% raises on that each year instead of eight. Or maybe he'll start a little short of the max to save some cap room. He gets 37 the first year or whatever. Like it's, it's going to be a relatively inconsequential amount less. And they're holding on to him and they constantly say all they want to do is he's the guy they want to build around. He is their franchise player. He's the one they want moving forward in their fruit. If your future, you don't act like that. You don't talk like that. If you're not actually planning on keeping the guy in free agency. Meanwhile, you talk to other teams around the league and they call about Beal and the wizards say, all right, have a nice day. And they hang right up. Go and fuck they're yourself. Not- <laughs> They're not engaging. They're not engaging on on trade offers. And and I mean, they know what it costs to keep a guy who's averaged 30 a game two years in a row. They know that. So so yeah. Yeah. I mean, they I I I don't yeah, they're definitely willing to pay it. One last question on this front. How damn sick are you of talking about Bradley Beal's future? Not as sick as Bradley Beal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but at least he's got forty million plus per year coming his way because of that future. That's you're, true. You're just going to be on your same salary at the Athletic. Um, I'll, and yeah, I knew you guys were going to ask about this. This isn't even me. I just put in a hologram of myself that that runs on autopilot <laughs> and just answers press, all these questions exactly. Press two for Bradley Beal answer. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Kramer um, with the movie phone voice. How how many times would you say you've got asked about Bradley Beal's future? In oh the thousands? God. Well, what's crazy is like he signed an extension. You know, it's not like like he did put his signature where his mouth is, you know? He 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 signed an extension in 2019 and these were questions leading up to the to the 2019 extension. People were wondering is he going to want out cuz because he was going to have, uh, you know, a couple years remaining on his deal then, and people were wondering the summer leading up to it: is he going to take the extension? He probably won't take the extension. So when he doesn't take the extension, what are the Wizards going to do? Is that a sign that he's going to leave? And it's like, my goodness, we're having the same conversation now, two years later. So I've been having these conversations and being asked these questions for years. I can I can I can reach back to a media day story I did earlier than that. I can reach back to like the 2019 All-Star game where I was I I followed Brad around to all these charity events he had to do um throughout the day. Like he did one at Tiso Watches and he did one at Champ Sports and uh or, or Champion or whatever the brand is. And uh and I and I, at the end of it, he said, Fred, you've been here all day. You want an interview? I was like, yeah, let's <laughs> do an interview. That's I had, journalism, baby. <laughs> I had nothing prepared. I mean, that, that's real journalism. I had nothing prepared. And so I was just like, screw it, Brad, you want to stay? And, and he did a whole thing with me about how he, he hates the culture of super teams. Um, and, and that was two and a half years ago. And it was newsworthy. I mean, it was it was relevant then. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, been a long time. Not a super team guy. So he says, not a super team guy. Well, we don't want him because the Celtics are trying to build a super team. But I think the thing that is most, like you mentioned, Fred, the contract, but I also think the age difference, you guys mentioned in your article how they'd never played on the same team before because 
Bradley Beal graduated high school by the time Jason Tatum made it to high school. The first time they did it, I think it was in the All-Star game. I just don't think it makes sense to trade Jalen with his kind of under market value contract when he has on basically the exact same timeline as Jason Tatum. It's pretty rare you can get two stars who are in kind of that same window right now. And so I, that's why I don't think a Jalen for Dame trade makes sense. Jalen for Beal doesn't really make sense. Like you have the two guys who are one year apart in age who are on like same contracts. You have this window don't mess up the window. Just like do what you can to try and uh, kind of piece everything around that. I just don't think you, they need to push for um, an additional star, especially if that means giving up Jalen. Now, Fred, another reason why I wanted to have you on a podcast today is because you don't cover the Celtics. And I feel like Jay and I have been having basically the same conversation for the past uh, four weeks about what the Celtics are going to do in the offseason um and what they need to do to get better and uh, that we've had the same reactions to brad stevens becoming the gm well that was surprising but brad's pretty smart and then we uh Ime udoka being hired well he seems like a pretty uh good coach i'm all out of takes around these things so i want to get the outside perspective on what your reaction is it's just a guy who covers the nba to kind of what's been going on with the celtics this offseason not not that outside. Don't forget about my extensive career as a Celtics beat writer. I was there for your two days in Vegas when you covered the Celtics. We had we went to many restaurants. That's true. That's true. Those were those were the only Celtics games I ever covered. My my time as a I was a Celtics beat writer for the longest I could have possibly been without actually covering a Celtics game. I started on the Monday. He took at, a vacation <laughs> during his three weeks out of job. He took vacation. Well, that is true. Makes it sound way worse than 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 what I what actually happened. But the facts of that are true, and I'll I'll let them stand because it's funnier the way Jay phrased it. Uh, but uh, uh, what? So so what was your question again? What do I Just think? What of was the your reaction to Brad moving to the president of basketball operations, hiring Ime Udoka, trading Kemba for Al Horford? All the things Jay and I have talked about for a month. Uh, we need your three weeks of expertise plus then your national perspective. Uh, Ime Udoka, it, it, it seemed like that was going to happen at some point with someone. I mean, he was a candidate for such a long time, uh, super well-respected, his coach for a bunch of really good coaches. He's a Spurs guy. Like it just, he seemed like it was, it was inevitable that, that he was going to get a job at some point and somebody was going to, going to throw him on a bench. So, so that wasn't surprising. I'm a huge believer, and I'm covering a coaching search now too, in which every single candidate has has you know every candidate, or I should say, yeah, every single candidate at least that we know about and that's public has combined for zero days of NBA head coaching experience with the Wizards. They of the double digit guys that I know about that they've interviewed, not one of them has a second of NBA head coaching experience. Some of them have been head coaches elsewhere. Darvin Ham was one in the G League and some other guys have some, some history doing it with, you know, lower level international teams and that kind of stuff, but but no one has actually been a head coach in an NBA team and I'm I'm a huge believer that if you've never seen someone be a head coach like I I don't know if Ime Udoka or Darvin Ham is a better coach. I've I don't know which one of those guys is better. Darvin Ham had two interviews with them. Like I don't know which guy is better fitted to be the coach of the Celtics? Like, but the Wizards, I mean, Sam Cassell got one interview 
I don't think he'll get a second. And when it, you know, it, it seemed when it started to seem on social media, like he wasn't going to get a second, all the fans blow up. How the hell could they not interview Cassell a second time? What are they doing? What is wrong with this organization? Jay's doing the big balls dance. I, <laughs> I, I don't understand how random people on the outside, myself included, could possibly speak so authoritatively about how one assistant coach is better than the others. We don't this know is the internet inside. Speaking authoritatively about things you don't know about is what Twitter is. <laughs> like that is what it is. I've been struggling with this for the entire time. It's like, how do you assess coaching? Because it feels like if you're going to take the Brad Stevens Kaizen method and fo- try to focus on process rather than results, we have no idea about process. You guys have like a better sense of it. Like when you guys could go and be in the facility and get a sense of that. But like for the average fan, other than like lineup changes, which the average fan has a lot of opinions on who should be playing, it's very difficult to see like sense who's a good coach. And it feels like it's entirely assessed based on wins and losses. And you're right. It's just, especially for guys who've never been head coaches, we have no way of knowing who's going to be good or not. It's- I, I, I do feel like there are certain people, though, whether it's because of their emotional intelligence or because of just the way they carry themselves, the basketball knowledge they have, that people look at and say, that guy's going to be a good coach. And I, I think back to Steve Kerr. You know, like like Steve Kerr never had head coaching experience. And he had two teams fighting for him. It was the Knicks and the Warriors. And and I was like, why is Steve Kerr getting all this love? Like, this, this, this asshole has never coached <laughs> in the NBA. And, of course, Steve Kerr, you know, transforms Stephen Curry, transforms Klay Thompson, transforms Draymond Green, transforms the Warriors. And, like, Steve Nash, he's another one. Like, people looked at him because of the way – he related to players because of the way he related to everybody. And he, he had a little bit of like barely coaching experience, I think with the Warriors, like kind of running guys through drills or whatever he did over there. But he's another guy that just because of the way he connected with people and because of how much he knew about basketball, guys looked at him and like, that guy's going to be able to handle the responsibilities of a head coaching position. And so I, I think it's a, it's a lot more about that than actually or it can be a lot more about that than actually like who knows the exit and knows. Because I feel like once you get to that point in the NBA, everyone knows the X's and O's. Everyone knows all of that stuff. And and what really separates the best is like, how do you relate to players? How do you convince people to buy in? How do you handle a staff and all the fires that you have to put out throughout the course of a regular season and, and a playoff run. So I do think even though we can't really judge how a guy will be as a coach, you can all often predict or, or preview that just based on how people are and, and the way they carry themselves and, you know, their reputation for connecting with people throughout their time in the NBA and around the NBA. Also, like I'm, I'm a big believer. Coaching is so much about circumstance and personality meshing that like one guy could be a great coach in one place and a terrible coach in another place. And, and I, I don't think we need to speak about coaching was so overarching. Like this guy's a good coach. This guy's a bad coach. I mean, I think we can say this guy did a good job. This guy didn't do a good job, but we see variance 
all the time. And sometimes it's just about the circumstance. You know, what Wes Unseld Jr. and Jamal Mosley, it sounds like, are finalists both for the Orlando job and for the Washington job. And it's possible that Wes Unseld Jr. is a better coach for Washington, but Jamal Mosley is a better coach for Orlando, just based on the personalities, based on what that organization is trying to accomplish, whatever else, based on meshing with particular front office people, like whatever it might be. I mean, the example that I use all the time, which is like the ultimate, um, the ultimate example to me of coaches being a product of their situations is Lionel Hollins, where you can disagree with the way he ran his offense in Memphis and, you know, how it would be stagnant and, and he was kind of not, not on the same page in some ways at the end with the front office in terms of analytics and all that stuff is true, but he was a good coach for that team. He instilled an important identity. He was a major, major proponent of turning them into the grit and grind Grizzlies. I think he squeezed pretty much every ounce out of that team that he possibly could. He got them to the Western conference finals. He was a great coach for Tony Allen. He was a great coach for Mike Conley. He was a great coach for that team's personality. Zebo. For Zebo, for sure, he 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 brought out a lot of good in that team. Like you can't look at the way Zach Randolph turned around his career under him and say anything other than he got more out of Zach Randolph than any other coach who ever coached Zach Randolph did. Uh, and a lot of it was because of personality, because of communication. Uh, he was he was a really good coach in Memphis, and then he goes to Brooklyn, and he falls flat in his face. And he wasn't a worse coach in Brooklyn. I think it was the exact same coach in Brooklyn that he was in Memphis, but he was not a good coach for Brooke Lopez and he wasn't a good coach for Darren Williams and it didn't work in Brooklyn. So it, it really depends so much on circumstance. It depends on players and personalities and how you're communicating your message and how that message is, is received. I mean, so much of coaching is, is not, we talk so much about the schemes, but a coach who has a plus schemes with C plus buy-in, is only going to get C plus production. It doesn't matter how good the schemes are if the players don't buy into them. Um, so, so you know, there's um, there's a lot more to this than has this guy interview on X's nose. And and with an assistant coach like with the Doka or all the guys who are finalists with Orlando and with Washington, it's like I I don't know. I cannot tell you whether Wes Unseld or Darvin Charlie better at any of these things than the other one i mean jay you've done like kind of more of the reporting about Ime's background you talked to uh, a bunch of people who know him it seems like everything is is good um but like is there any reason to like believe that uh, he is not going to come in and like it seems like his his strength is relationships is doing the things that fred mentioned is like what you need to do in coaching and so from all indications, it's a good hire, but I also don't think you're going to call anyone up and they're going to be like, no, nah, that guy sucks, uh, especially if it's his friend who just like just got hired. So uh, I don't know. It, it feels like there's all these good indications, but I'll, like that gets even more complicated when you talk about uh, assistant coaches. Like Celtics fans are thrilled because the Celtics have brought in Will Hardy and the new news, Damon Stoudemire. Are they going to be good assistant coaches? It, it, I, I don't even know what, what, what the role of the assistant coach is. Jay, what was your reaction to them bringing in Stoudemire? I think that's a really good hire. Um, I mean, you, you look at he has, I think it's five years of experience as a head coach at Pacific. So he he has run a Division One program. 
he turned them around. They were eight and twenty before he got there. They went twenty three and ten a couple of seasons ago. He was the West West Coast Conference. I think it's West Coast Conference Coach of the Year. And to get a guy like that, who not only has that coaching experience where he has run a team for for several years, but he also has a, a lot of playing experience. And he seems to be a guy that's that's well loved by former players. That's well loved by guys in the league today. And should be a guy that that can come in and, and have a level of cachet in that locker room immediately because of all he's accomplished, both as a player and as a coach. So I I, I think that was a really good hire. Um, Jeff Goodman is very convinced that <laughs> that Marcus Smart will benefit from it, and that whoever the Celtics have as a ball handler will will really benefit from being able to work with Stoudemire. And maybe that's the case. I don't really know how Stoudemire will will work with with different point guards, different players. Um, but Hardy and Stoudemire, I think the, the the biggest point of that is, you know, Udoka found two guys that he really trusts. And he worked for years with Hardy in San Antonio. So obviously he has a lot of respect for Hardy, the way Hardy can handle the job. And he grew up with Stoudemire. And so the first two hires for Udoka – I think are are big hires, important hires, and and two guys that come with a lot of respect for very different reasons. Um, Will Hardy is the only one of those hires who who beat Jay King in college <laughs> basketball, but that's only because I did not play Arizona. <laughs> if I had played Damon Stoudemire's Arizona teams, I think I probably would have gotten beaten pretty poor, pretty badly. It's a fair assessment, Jay. I think you uh, you really nailed that one. Um, Fred, I guess I, I'm curious, um, again, just asking your perspective about the Celtics roster right now. They traded away Kemba Walker. They brought back Al Horford. We talked before about kind of trying to get as much talent uh, around Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown. Uh, where do you think the roster um, stands right now, and what do you think they, the Celtics' like priority should be uh, in this offseason? I think the trade made sense. Uh, you know, I think Horford Horford had a pretty solid year last year in Oklahoma City. It was kind of hard to pull exactly what was real and what wasn't with that team. But they really outplayed expectations when he was on the floor and and he looked good. He looked mobile. He looked like he let's put it this way, he looked better than Sixers Al Horford. Um, and he looked a lot more comfortable. And when he was working with Ime Udoka in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, and part of part of the reason, but that fit was so nonsense. Yeah, no, I, I was um, just, just a joke. Part of part of the reason that the Celtics fell off to such a degree last year is because their defense went from top five to, you know, unimpressive, just kind of forgettable middle of the pack. And I think Horford is going to, you know, exchanging Kemba for Horford is is going to help them with that. It's it's going to add discipline for them in the middle of the floor. Um, and just somebody who's going to be reliable and be a good team defender. And when you have somebody who's a really good team defender on the back end, it allows Marcus Smart to go a little more nuts and be able to get away with it. Nuts, nuts in a good way, the Marcus Smart kind of way. Uh, it allows guys at the top to be able to have more freedom to play a little bit more aggressively. And, and Horford is still a, a really good team defender. He's still an above average defender. He, he looked good for Oklahoma city in that, in that aspect this year. Uh, you know, he can see adds passing for them. I mean, Celtics fans, nobody's about, he's not as good as he was 
three years ago, but he's still the same kind of player. He's just, he used to be B pluses and A minuses across the board. And now he's like B pluses to B minuses across the board. You're uh, giving was- out a lot of grades. Today. <laughs> I like that. Professor Katz. Brad <laughs> Katz, big on the grading system. We'll find, we'll find, that's true. I was, I was going schemes and buy-in before, and now we're going to this. Uh, now I, I thought it made sense. It, it took me by surprise. I didn't see it coming. I would love a universe where the Celtics just had to trade for Al Horford every three years. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Like it was just a league rule. Uh, but but it, I thought it made sense. Another fair take from Professor Katz. I mean, I think the question right now is what to do about their center position. I'm like they have Al Horford, they have Rob Williams, who's kind of never really played a full season. They have Tristan Thompson. I'm in the camp of trade Tristan Thompson. I don't think his contract has any value, but I don't think he has any value on the court. Uh, and so I've been basically searching trade machine all day, uh, trying to figure out, and I asked the followers to kind of give their best uh, Tristan Thompson trade ideas. Um, but I just don't think he like makes sense as have being the third center. Jay seems to disagree with me. He thinks there's kind of minutes for all three of those guys, but do I, <laughs> I feel like I brought up trade Tristan Thompson on the past, like four podcasts. Maybe you're just so, uh, kind of combative and disagreeable that you'll just disagree with anything I say. I'm not combative or disagreeable at all. My take on Tristan Thompson is that if they can trade him and do it without, you know, sacrificing assets or whatever and get someone else who fits the roster better and won't be a third center, then cool. By all means, go do it. I also believe at the same time that having a third center who's, capable of playing good minutes and reliable and can be a great offensive rebounder could be helpful because you can't trust Robert Williams to stay on the court. You can't trust Al Horford, who's 35, will be able to play a ton of games, even though he's been pretty durable in the past. And so I just think having a good third string center will be pretty important for the Celtics this year. That doesn't mean it has to be Tristan Thompson. It could be could be somebody else they pick up for cheaper after they trade Tristan Thompson for God knows what. Um, but I just think like having a third center could be pretty important. Do I would I want to pay that guy ten million dollars and have it be Tristan Thompson? Probably not. If if I could get off that deal somehow without sacrificing much, but yeah. So that that's my Tristan Thompson take. Don't put words in my mouth, asshole. What about fully getting the band back together and trading him for Aaron Baines just so he can go back to the defensive lineup of Baines and Horford? That that would be hilarious, honestly. Um, we got to go with what works. We know you this You could do works. it. You could do it. Baines, Baines is coming off a bad year. Baines is coming Make off a tough, tough year in Toronto. Um the problem is no one wants Tristan Thompson on their team or, or wants to pay. Like, I just don't see like I'm, how you get off his contract without including other stuff in there. There are, there are two ways to do it. I mean, you, you could just, you could just swap him for a similar player on a similar contract who plays another position and that team needs a backup big or something like that. And the Celtics could, you know, take on a wing or something like that. And that's the way to do it. Or, 
you say screw it and you just suck it up and you attach a second round pick too. I don't think you need to put a first to offload him. It's he's an expiring contract. You could also aggregate him with with another guy in in a in a bigger deal to get to you know money if you want to bring somebody in. I think you have to attach something if you want to get like if your goal is just to get off Tristan Thompson's contract. I agree. Then you shouldn't have to attach much to it. But if you want to get someone back, like a rotation player, maybe a backup point guard, which it feels like an area of need, maybe a, a power forward then maybe you have to do a first-round pick. But they already traded their first-round pick from this year just to get off Kemba, so I don't know how willing they're going to do that to do like consecutive years. Yeah, I mean, you could justify getting off of them because they're 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 like potentially going to be pretty close to the luxury tax line if they use their the full mid-level exception. And and so if they uh they might want to clear up the space and you know, they could use that to give it out to a, there are so many good point guards who are free agents this year. It's crazy i was looking through the market because uh wizards legend howl netto is a free agent i was like how much is he gonna get and they're like netto is coming off a really good year he's a very reliable feisty backup point guard defender uh who shot 39 40 percent from three can play off the ball can play on the ball like he is coming off a very good year i was like all right there were 15 free agent point guards who I think teams would want to sign before him. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of really good point guards. So, so you could, you could go out, you could throw money at Cameron Payne and, and see what you can get for him or Ish Smith, the God Ish Smith, the God Ish Ish Smith is another guy. Like I think because of the market Ish Smith is uh, like, Ish Smith is going to end up getting the minimum. I think Brad um, Stevens has always loved him some Ish Smith. Well, Brad Stevens also always loved him some Jeff Teague, and that didn't really work out this year. Although we did get some finals Teague in game one. He made an impact. <laughs> I was that finals Teague is the most powerful Teague there is. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. This Teague. You have nothing after that? Just this Teague was the it was the joke that you're going with. <laughs> I was waiting for Jay to go in and you know, it's like this league, you know, this team. No, no, it's, I got the it's, I got it's the joke, a horrible Jay. joke. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Jim. That's all I got. That's all I have. <laughs> well, I appreciate your uh your contribution. I'm out of my teague on this one. Oh god. Is when is once he gets oh, I, I forgot I'm, that's like cats I am, the king of this. In a teague am, of my I'm, own. I'm fully fatigued by these puns. Well played. Well played. All right. I I think we've 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 hit the pun section of a podcast. I think it's a good time uh to wrap up. Any Closing thoughts, gentlemen. I appreciate both of you coming on and displaying your fine works of journalism and telling I, us uh, your process. I have probably eclipsed now three hours of conversation with Fred Katz over the last two days. We had to fucking go sentence for sentence through a story we wrote together. And and I've just had way too... Do you guys trade like, the sentence who reads each one? Wait, you, like, wait. <laughs> I was sitting there. I called up Jay and I read through it. And I said to him, like, while I was reading the second graph, I was like, wait, Jay, do you do you want me to read this through with you on the phone? Or you want me to just hang up and do this alone? Because we're going through proofreading. We're, we're picking out we, each one. We were halfway like, through better. and he says, does this process work for you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Fred... That is the second most ridiculous thing you've asked me today. And it would, on any other day, be the most ridiculous thing. But you asked me if you could take a walk earlier. So it was, it was, it was. But you said you wanted to continue. 
You said was, you wanted to tough, continue. Tough writing a story <laughs> with, with Frank Cass. Let me tell you, I've had too much. I have one final question for you, Jay. Is is um is Fred Katz potable? I mean, I, 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 